All right, we're going to talk about money. I sat down this morning, spent about 40 minutes rattling out my thoughts. I, I haven't uh, done a second draft or cleaned it up. So you're getting kind of the, the first draft, the first batch of thoughts. And my opening question, and there's a lot of questions, a whole bunch of questions for you to ask yourself and to ask others in your life, like your team lead, broker owner, et cetera. And uh, it's all about the money. So question number one, where is your money? Where is your money? Question number two, is it safe where it is? The only safe money is money in a bank, a bank bank, like a bank account with your corporate name on it, your personal name on it, ideally in your hold co. That's a great spot to put your extra money. And I say hold co and extra money because you generally will only ever have extra money in your life if you get incorporated and set up a hold co. But that's a different conversation, one we should probably have again soon too especially given that it's tax time and a whole bunch of you are gonna pay way more tax than you should. And the majority of us who are incorporated, we thank you for paying the extra tax. We appreciate it. All right, so ideally your savings are sitting, if you're gonna have a float of cash, you're gonna have that sitting in a hold co in a bank because the first $100,000 in a bank account is insured. It's backed by the federal government, it's safe. And this is a key critical statement I'm gonna make here. Your brokerage, is not a bank. So stop treating it like that, like it is. Do not leave your money sitting in the brokerage account for months or years. That is a ridiculous amount of exposure you're taking. It is totally illogical. Sitting on more than that at a single, sitting on more than $100,000 at a single institution is also a little dicey, but you know, it's Canada, so we're gonna be fine. But having that money in one of the big six you know, makes the most sense when you get right down to it. And seeing as how our big six make about a billion dollars per quarter, and like I say, the government guarantees the first $100,000, you're probably gonna be okay. You know, it's unlikely there's gonna be any run on any one of the big six banks, a la It's a Wonderful Life, um, it just wouldn't make sense. But we're gonna circle back to that that ancient movie that people seem to like to watch at Christmas time. You know, but, and that's the thing, probably more people can rattle off the plots, the actors' names and lines from It's a Wonderful Life than actually understand, for instance, that the Bank of Canada doesn't directly change interest rates. The Bank of Canada actually changes the money supply. They increase or decrease the money supply, and that has an immediate impact on interest rates. And that's how prime moves. They don't move prime, they move the money supply. But you know, these are these little things that we don't always realize about our money. So what else do we not know about our money? Well, when it comes to mortgage agents and mortgage brokers, as I've said, rule number one, your brokerage is not a bank. Your money is not insured at a brokerage as it is in a bank. It's not as safe, far from it. In particular, if that brokerage is a smaller independent shop, and that's not some self-serving remark, it's just logic. If ABC brokerage owner vanishes and the accounts go with that person, what's your recourse? Not much if ABC brokerage is owned by John and Jane Doe. There is far more in the way of options and security if that brokerage is attached to a national brand, especially say a publicly traded one, because there's image issues for that national brand to consider. And they will and have in the past stepped in and done things to protect the individual agents and protect the reputation of the brand. And like I say, if you insist on treating your brokerage as a bank, leaving commissions unpaid for strategic purposes, and they are strategic, they're not strategic. Well, you know, losing a bunch of your money will teach you some lessons about strategy for sure. So 
Yes, if the brokerage you work for is flying the flag of one of the major brands, the brand may step in should things go sideways. Uh, and again, something I do know personally has been done from time to time over the 13 years or so that I've been in this business. And the parent company may make you whole as far as recent commissions go. Parent companies that care not only, as they say, about their brand reputation, but also about the people that make the mortgage magic happen in the first place. And such companies are not going to sit idly by and watch entire teams of agents get stiffed because of a franchise owner, you know, treating the agent's commission account as if it was their own personal piggy bank. And this isn't something that happens a lot, but it happens. And there's, there's other considerations, which we'll get to here as well. You know, one of the key risks you take in treating your brokerage like a bank and your commissions account as a savings account, which it isn't, is there's the, the risk that the franchise owner is also treating that commission account like a bank account. But more specifically, they're treating it like their own personal checking account, a kind of unofficial overdraft funded by you. And this leads me to some questions you may want some answers to, you know, if the money matters. Do you know who's holding your money? Do you know who's holding your money? Are you part of a franchise that runs their own payroll and the money's flowing into their corporate accounts? Or do the funds, funds flow through a corporate head office directly to your account? Is there somebody in between the lender and your money? And if so, who? More than one entity, multiple entities? Like what is the flow of the money? That's a pretty important thing to understand. Is the team you're part of an independent brokerage where the individual team lead has signing authority over that money or not? Who else? has signing authority over those accounts. An accountant, a spouse, an unhappy spouse, an unhappy accountant, who else? Who else has a signing authority over those accounts? Are you aware that your commissions are not held in a trust account? Your money may just be sitting in some individual's account and they can write a check to anyone they want from that account. And seriously, your friend, the realtor, their mind would be blown to hear that your commissions are not held in a trust account, but they're not. That's not how it works in the mortgage brokerage industry. And they truly wouldn't believe that you're leaving thousands, tens of thousands, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars of unpaid commissions in a corporate account owned by a separate individual human being. Human beings are fallible, all kinds of different things. Possibly an individual human being with no estate plan of any kind, no will, no nothing, no continuity of business planning whatsoever, meaning it doesn't need to be bad blood that creates problems for you. It can be a bad heart. I mean, it could be a very warm-hearted broker owner and they keel over and they didn't have any estate planning going on. Who's signing the checks out of the corporate account now? What's happening? What's the plan? Who controls your money? When will you get paid? Will you ever get paid? Let's go a little deeper, though because there are still more questions that can jam you up along the way. We've all heard of FAQs, you know, frequently asked questions. Well, how about the FUQs, right? Frequently unasked questions, such as, what is my split of? If I'm on 90-10, am I on 90-10 of the gross? Well, what's the gross? Is it 90-10 of the brokerage owner's gross or their net? And if it's net, net of what? Net of their split, net of an admin fee, net of a basic overhead cost that's built in. What? Where's the clarity. You know, maybe your office is on a 95-5 split with a major brand and you're on a 90-10 of that 95, meaning you're what, an 85-15, like apples to apples, apples to oranges, apples to cucumbers. Like, what are we talking about here? And is that the right math? I didn't even really do the right math there, did I? And what about volume bonus? What's the story on volume bonus? What special volume tier adjustments uh, happen at certain volumes of production? Are those being passed on? Are they part of the factor? 
are they part of the conversation? Now, I came up in the broker world in BC and in British Columbia, how we speak here about splits turns out to be quite a bit different than other places, such as Ontario, for instance. We tend to speak in gross splits. You know, for instance, TD pays currently, that's changing as we know, but they currently pay 80 beeps on a five-year of your initial comp plus 27 basis points of volume bonus. So when I was on a 93.7 split myself, something that I had to get to about 75 million in volume to actually get to, um, you know, it just starts to date me, doesn't it? Because splits are pretty aggressive these days in some cases, but it was 93% of 107 beeps. That's what the split was. And I tracked this in detail, just like you do too, right? You tracked the upfront comp, you tracked the volume bonus when that showed up, if it showed up at a different time, depending on the lender. Does the lender have a points program? Do they credit the brokerage $200 per file for to cover the cost of appraisals? What do these lenders actually pay? Now, you know, a bunch of us are going to probably go back to the broker team leads today and ask, what am I owed? Because not only do we not know which lenders pay what, we're not even tracking whether or not we're being paid on our files, which leads us to one of the things that really blows my mind in this industry, unclaimed money. Unclaimed money, how can this be a thing? Unclaimed money, leftover money. So what should you do today? You should submit all of your outstanding compliance, all of it. And that file that you're missing, the set of initials on the form 10 or this doc or that doc, pick up the phone, call the client, don't email them, don't text them, phone them, phone them, phone them, phone them, text them and email them. And send the document, if it's a compliance document, send it in DocuSign. Make it super, super simple for them. I know it's been 11 months and they've been hard to track down because, well, you know, we talked about this, right? But get those docs signed and get those compliance docs submitted. We should all, as far as I'm concerned in this industry, we should all collectively reenact the first part of the final scene of that ancient movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Not the entire scene, the first part where they all go in and they all want their money. Don't get talked out of taking your money. Go in, ask for your money, get your money, submit your compliance. And like I say, is it 75 beeps, 80 beeps, 90 beeps base, DB, is it 20, 25, 27? I mean, figure these things out. Is the comp about to go up with a certain lender? Is the comp gonna go down with a certain lender? Do we even know whether we've been paid on these files? As I say, most of you don't know at all. How do I know you don't know? Because when you listen to this, like I say, and your wheels get turning, you're not gonna go to a spreadsheet. You're not gonna go to a whiteboard. You're not even gonna go to a notebook. Oh, as they say, you're going to call the broker owner and the team lead. And you're going to say, do you know how much money I'm owed? You should know how much money you're owed. And like I say, don't get talked into not submitting your compliance. Not that I think anybody is going to suggest you don't submit your compliance, but get your compliance in there. Get it in there. It's your money. And it is a lot more at risk than it were if it were in a bank, a bank account with your name on it. Things happen to private companies. Things happen to private individuals. No, I mean, just think about the, as a general rule, 96% of businesses do not last 10 years. They don't. So like I say, your money, it's not in a bank right now. It's not in an account you control and it's not insured with, you know, federal government back coverage. It's not safe. My own corporate account is not even set up for online banking. Seriously, true story. I, the money flows into my operating corp and then I move it over to the hold co and neither the Opco nor the Holdco have online banking, nor do they have bank card access. It's a real pain in the butt when somebody actually writes me a paper check, because then I have to physically go to the bank, which of course is even more of an issue over the last uh, 
10, 11 months or so. But I'm a little uptight that way. I want that money to be difficult for me to access. I want it to be difficult for anybody to be ac to access. And like I say, I mean, being incorporated fixes a lot of things. I touched on the word strategy earlier. Uh, you know, some people push their commissions back at the end of the year as a tax planning, a uh, variety of different things. But if you're incorporated, tax planning, what are you talking about? I mean, it's 11%, the corporate tax rate's 11%. What's, what's, what's the tax planning? You get it paid into your corp and you dictate how much you take out as a, as a personal. So like I say, having that hold code, that's kind of like a grown-ups personal piggy bank. So there we are. And there's somebody commenting right there, this needs to be discussed. It took me five years to figure out my exact splits. They were so convoluted with my former <laughs> broker, right? So that's not uncommon. Most of us not only don't know how much money we're supposed to get paid, we don't even know if we actually got paid what we were supposed to get paid. And we don't even know what files our money's outstanding on. It's kind of this weird thing. And some people have like a pretty tortured relationship with money. And a lot of us come into this, this business and, and have a pretty amazing experience where like maybe out in the real world, not that we're not in the real world, you know, we were making 60, 70, $80,000 a year and we come into brokering and we grind it out. We had the first year as hell. And the second year, we almost kind of replace our income and everyone's saying, why, why did you become a broker? Maybe you should quit. The third year you hang in there and you sort of match your previous salary. Hopefully by then, usually that's, that's what happens. And then that fourth and fifth year, suddenly things start to take off. And of course, don't worry, every February, which we're on the cusp of, most brokers think, I better polish off my resume. I'm going to have to go get a new job because February is usually a very quiet month, which of course is reflective of the fact that most of us were so spent by December, we just didn't do anything in December. And now the fruits of the lack of labor are no business in February. But every year in the world of brokering, especially past your fifth year, is a better year and a better year and a better year. And going back to my comment about this tortured relationship some people have with money, they don't feel worthy of the money they're making. So suddenly they're making 120, 150, 160,000. And that's how they can forget to collect 10, 20, $30,000. You would think 10, 20, $30,000 would be a big deal to some people, to everyone, but it's not. Because if you built your life around making 70 or 80 and suddenly you're making 120, you feel great. The wealth effect is there and you just, you know, you enjoy the job, you like interacting with the people, but uh, you know, the compliance paperwork and submitting to payroll, is not really your jam. It doesn't have to be your jam. You know whose jam it is? It's Liz Himes from Western Broker Services Jam. Liz likes doing that. I'm sure there's some other companies out there as well that will put your compliance paperwork together. So as I say, it's kind of mind blowing that we don't ask the questions we should ask. And it's not always spelled out in the contract. You know, the contracts we sign, there's some pretty crazy language as a game we're all starting to learn uh, that's in there. And most of us don't really read or question that contract. And why is that? I'll tell you why it is. It's because you joined the brokerage that your friend was at. And so you trust your friend, therefore you trust the contract and you probably don't even read the whole thing completely. And you're in good company. Most of us don't read the first brokerage contract we signed. Pretty well, all of us read the second one. That's for sure. That's for sure. So, you know, as I say, 
there's a lot of interesting things that go on around the money. But the number one thing I'm just trying to press home, don't treat your brokerage like a bank. It's not a bank. And yeah, I'm running a full service brokerage that has an account with a bunch of unpaid commissions. And I talk to people who have six figures sitting in our account and they say, oh, no, I trust you, it's fine. And you can trust me, that's fine, you can trust us. That's great, but it's still ridiculous. I would, nothing would make me happier than to see our current commissions account go from where it is, I'm not gonna say the number, but it would blow your minds if I said the number, from where it is to zero. I'd love to see it at zero. I'd love to see all that money gone. It would be fine. It would be great. And every broker owner that you are working with, whatever broker owner, FIS lead, whatever, the same way. Like, please get this money out of our accounts. And a lot of the really great broker owners do actually put some pretty hardcore rules in place. Like if you haven't claimed this money in 90 days, guess what? Your split changes to 50-50. And if you haven't claimed it in 180 days, you don't get it anymore because obviously you don't want it. You don't care about it. And, you know, those are some pretty hardcore rules with some hardcore deadlines. But I was talking to one broker owner and they put something similar to that in place and their float. This is not a huge brokerage either. This is like a, a, a franchise, a, a decent sized franchise, but not like a mega, mega franchise. And their float went from $800,000 down to $80,000 practically overnight. Now think about that. That's one office that was sitting on $720,000 or so in unclaimed commissions because people are too lazy to collect their money. Multiply that by the number of franchises and brokerages out there. We are talking about not just millions, we're talking about tens of millions of dollars. And here's a question that I hadn't even thought to put in there, but since I'm rambling now and I'm just gonna go, here's a question. What if something happens to you? What if something happens to you? Is there anyone in your life who understands your business, who knows that this paperwork in this file folder on this computer and this device and this cloud location, whatever, needs to get submitted over here so that the money will actually flow to your surviving family members? Probably not. I mean, have you ever had a conversation about how the money gets paid out with your partner? Probably not. So you owe it not just to yourself, you owe it to your family to get yourself paid. Get yourself paid. And brokerages, they don't keep your money because they want to. And again, this is the part where I say, you know, if you're not tracking anything, if you're not tracking anything, send me an email with workflow in the header and I will send you the Excel sheet that I use to track my commissions. And in the body of that email that I know very few people actually read, most people just click open on the spreadsheet. It's way too complicated. They close it and they never look at it again. But a few people read the entire body of the email. There's a little hook at the bottom. So I know whether you actually read it or not. Literally one in a hundred people actually catch that little hook and reply to it. So about 99 people haven't even read the thing. But in the, in the body of that email, See, now the thought just went right out of my head. What the heck was I gonna say? Oh yeah, pardon me, unpaid commissions. I had a couple people who implemented that spreadsheet. They went and backfilled it back to the beginning of the calendar year of when they started. So like six, six months into the year. And they found a file that, you know, four months earlier, they'd been paid the VB on, but they hadn't been paid the upfront comp. And the other thing they'd been paid on was the upfront comp in some files, but not the VB. And how did that happen? Well, think about it. If you're working for a small independent 
office or you're working for an office where they're running their own uh, payroll, you've got this individual sitting there who basically has to write a big accounting exam every single week. And they're human. They're not going to get 100% every single week on every single exam. So they're not trying to keep your money, but they're accidentally keeping your money. And because you're so disorganized, you don't even know that they're keeping your money. And the one agent, it was $13,000. $13,000. That's what that person got paid to read the whole email, open the spreadsheet, spend a couple hours backfilling all their files into it and matching with their pay stubs and realize, hey, I'm missing some comp. And the broker owner paid it instantly because the broker owner doesn't even know. They're busy doing their own thing. They don't know exactly where that money came from and why it hasn't been claimed. In some cases, it's big, big brokerages. You know, 100 agents is like herding 100 cats. I mean, again, shout out to these broker owners that are running a team of five to 105. Like, again, like herding cats. Five cats? No way, right? 105, holy smokes. So your money is your responsibility. Take some responsibility. My gosh, that was a long ramble. All right. I'll have a quick peek at the chats and uh, the chat. Any questions? Is there a question? There is one question. Maybe it's a comment. Uh, the lenders. Hey, excellent, excellent point, uh, Darlene. I'm not going to name the lender that, uh, that it, because it doesn't matter. All lenders make errors paying you the comp. They really do. Once in a while, they'll pay you double. And of course, when they do that, you immediately let the lender know that they've paid you double because, you know, to not do so would be wrong. So that happens. The funny thing is you've probably been paid double on a file and you don't even know it. But there's other files that, yeah, the lender makes a mistake and doesn't actually pay the proper amount. The broker owner isn't tracking that. That's for you to track. And sometimes you get paid on a file and you're like, how did that math work? I should really look at that. And you make a mental note and it's gone. Have a spreadsheet, have a system, have a whiteboard, have a notebook, a pen and a paper, a stereo and a tape, a me and Eric Beam. Okay, anyway, have some way of tracking this stuff. All right, I'm gonna leave it at that, short and sweet, 22 minutes. Okay, it's not that short, but 22 minutes. Spend the next 48 minutes that we still have, 38 minutes, pardon me, 38 minutes. I'm not, see, I, I'm not that great with the math. Spend the remaining 38 minutes of this hour figuring out your money. Spend it focused on your money. Who do you need to ask? What do you need to ask, et cetera? All right, that's it for me. I know I got a guest tomorrow. I'm gonna to give him a call right now and we're gonna line that up. Anyways, you guys, have a great day. Make the most of it. And remember, like Eric B and Rakeem said, get paid in full, all right? Get paid in full. Cheers.